Digital Smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. My name is Jodie Greer and I am the founder of Be People Smart. So what's going to be different today is I am busting a myth, but I'm not accompanied by a wonderful guest speaker. I'm doing this one on my own. So hopefully answering all of your questions is going to be helpful. Um, and some of you have already submitted specific questions for today, which is wonderful. So the myth that I am busting is that only disabled people and carers care about disability inclusion. So that takes me on to one of the first questions I often get asked. And that's exactly what this episode is going to be about. It's literally answering your questions. So some of those are questions that I get asked frequently. And some of those are questions that you submitted when I went out to social media to say that I was going to do this solo episode. So yes, I am currently non-disabled and that's how I define myself because none of us ever know. And of course, our personal circumstances today can be different tomorrow. And so one of the key questions I often get asked is, why do I care so much and why am I so passionate about disability inclusion? And I wrote about this in a blog post recently, but ultimately and genuinely, it's because I'm a human being and it frustrates me that over so many years, disabilities have not been considered when it comes to creating equality and certainly equity within businesses. And I wanted to change that. And also because disability doesn't discriminate and it's the only diversity pillar any one of us can find ourselves in on any given day. And also the highly likelihood is that every single one of us will in fact find ourselves to be disabled at some point in life. So that's exactly why I care and that's exactly why I'm so passionate. So some of the other questions I get and I'm going to go through them are how did I end up working in disability inclusion full time? So I'll try and give you a short answer. Um, Ultimately, I always wanted to know how I could actually do this, um, not necessarily full time to start with, but how I could make a difference in the workplace. And so while I was actually working for Shell back in 2009, I was in a corporate real estate role and I was always looking around, you know, trying to see if we could do more. And I saw that somebody had organized an event with the charity Changing Faces. And so I went along and there was um, a small committee of people who were trying to get active in London and they were the Enable Network and it was a network focused on disability inclusion. And they asked if people would like to join. Immediately, I jumped at it. So I got very active and fast forward not so long really, um, I became the chair of the Enable Network. And people were actually surprised I wasn't already the chair, I think because um, I would always call myself a gob on a stick when it came to disability inclusion. And I now had a way of actually um, shouting about it. But now I say that I'm tenacious. 
So I thank Lucy Ruck at the BDF for marking me as tenacious because it sounds so much nicer. But yeah, I took on the chair role and I was absolutely adamant that first of all, we would drive it through the UK, which we did. And then I decided we needed to do it in a lot more countries. So we already actually had a network with a different name in the Netherlands. They swapped over and they also became Enable NL. So we had Enable UK and Enable NL. And talking to colleagues across other countries, um, I helped to build that across another 12 countries. So it was a really exciting time. And that's kind of how I got started. And so I became sort of the global chair of chairs and kept, kept us all connected. And I learned so much from what um, the other networks were doing in different countries. And we all bounced off of each other. And yeah, absolutely valuable. But ultimately, I probably learned the most from the lived experiences of the people I got to meet, both in the workplace, but also when networking. And that was just invaluable. Because if I hadn't learned from all of these people, and over the years now, it must be thousands of lived experiences, I wouldn't be able to do what I do so effectively. So I'm literally like a sponge for lived experiences. And when I go into an organisation, I take them with me. And it's also where the personas come from for Be People Smart. So each of our personas is made up of multiple people, with the exception of Jodie, because she is actually made up of me. Wasn't my idea, but I see that um, she also adds value. Um, but the others are all built from several people each with their disabilities, but also their lived experiences. So it's fun for me because I can actually picture the real people behind them. But it also means that there is a real genuine side to our personas. So although they're sort of built in a cartoon kind of image and they've got a bit of fun to them, they have got backstories, they have got experiences, and as I say, they are all built on real people. So I hope that companies can take them and they can help drive that employee and customer experience in a, a positive way. So going back to how I ended up doing this full time, um, because I got a bit sidetracked then, um, following my successes with the Enable Network, I was actually the first global accessibility lead for Shell, which is what I did for my final few years in the corporate world. And yeah, that was wonderful. It was really funny when I first started it because I kept feeling like I'd taken too much time out of work, you know, like I was doing all of this stuff I love and I'd realised I'd been doing it all day. And I was like, oh, wow, I better, oh no, this is my job now. So that was actually really fun. Um, it wasn't without its challenges, I won't pretend, but doing something day in, day out that you're really passionate about makes a world of difference. And, you know, hopefully a lot of you listening are very passionate in your area of work. Um, but I can honestly say it is more than a job and it's wonderful. And so in the middle of a pandemic, I decided that so many companies kept telling me they don't know where to start when it comes to disability inclusion. So many diversity, equity and inclusion professionals kept saying to me that although, you know, they are very competent and that they've been working in their field for some time, they don't have experience when it comes to disability inclusion. And so the challenge there is that driving that strategy, setting the initial plan and actually 
moving forward is proving a challenge. And so how do they get help, particularly right from a strategic standpoint? And I wanted to be that help. So I decided the world was in a really strange place. Why not help it be a bit better? And so I left my nice corporate career and I started Be People Smart. And it's been very, very different leading a small business after so long in big business. But it's also been very rewarding. And it's also enabled me to work with organisations that I hadn't ever in the past, particularly so many public sector organisations. And yeah, it's very rewarding. It's wonderful. And of course, I have support as well from other people who I've met along the way of this journey. And yeah, it's it gets me up in the morning and it helps me sleep at night. So that's pretty much how my journey into full-time disability inclusion and accessibility happened. So that that's obviously how I got started. Um, it is also where the personas come from, which is one of the uh, questions I do get asked quite a lot. And another question that I get asked frequently is about the Be People Smart Disability Inclusion Maturity Model. So there's a few questions that constantly pop up. One is, why did I create it? So I'll take them question at a time. The reason I created it is I knew for several years something with far more granular detail was needed. And the reason it was needed is that there are several models out there, but for the most part, they have a few criteria that you can assess yourself against, but it's not very clear what else is there. So if I do tick all those boxes against a certain maturity level, is there anything else I should be doing? And these are the kind of conversations I was regularly having with diversity, equity and inclusion leads, with uh, senior leaders within businesses. Is that it? What else is there? And so I was just knew that we needed something. So I was adamant that that was what I wanted to do. And when I created Be People Smart, one of my first priorities was to actually make it happen. So the next question I often get is, how can I be confident that this works on a global basis? So that was always an intention as well. It needed to be for a global audience. I didn't want to be excluding anybody from being able to use the tool. So I was very grateful to be joined by a wonderful global review panel who are all professionals in their fields of disability inclusion and or accessibility in different aspects. So digital built environment uh, and holistic accessibility, um, years of experience, but also from several countries around the world, um, including the US, Europe, Asia, the UK. Um, yeah, I have to think then. And so that was really important to me, but also the people I was working with come from very different backgrounds themselves, different industry experience and different sizes of organisation, because I also wanted the model to be completely scalable so that it could work for all companies. And that's also where the helpful guidance comes from, because it's meant to encourage use but also show the realities of it so for instance in the guidance it does talk about 
not putting any pressure on your organization to expect to be a five in any area and that's the top level of maturity um if you do then wonderful you know cakes are on you but if you don't then actually that's okay if you want to set yourself some stretch targets to get there fantastic but also it's things like there is a not applicable uh, marker against criteria in the detail in the model and it does tell you in the guidance that that isn't a cop-out but if it genuinely doesn't exist in your industry or in your location then you can mark as not applicable because if you mark as no you haven't achieved that it can feel like you've got a gap that's not really a gap and actually it's kind of an unfair rating so not applicable is absolutely um, something that can be used and as an example if you were a small organization with one single story warehouse then all of the questions on staircases and lifts are not applicable so that is absolutely fine you can skip through those ones you know exactly what you're marking so that is how we made sure that it was um, globally accessible and usable and i absolutely thank any of those um, global review panel that are listening to this you know who you are and you are quite wonderful if anybody's interested on who worked with me on that please do reach out on linkedin i have uh, promoted them several times but i am always happy to do it again and the next one and this is definitely the most frequent question is why did i make it available for free so really for me be people smart as a business but first and foremost be people smart as a change maker so whenever i was thinking about the maturity model it was never a commercial model for a number of reasons having spent 24 years in the corporate world even big companies i know a lot of the ways of thinking and so as soon as you have to spend money to even self-assess how well you're doing now you hit a barrier because is this going to be a value and actually so many organizations still don't understand the value of disability inclusion anyway to ask them to pay up front it's going to put another barrier in place and it's going to stop progress yet again so that was one of the reasons another reason was this is meant to work for all organizations so irrespective of your budget constraints everybody can afford a free tool and the third one was definitely about commercial markets being realistic there are people operating in certain countries in the world who just their budgets do not stretch to uk pricing and i didn't want to leave them behind and i wanted to enable those individuals those consultants and those organizations to also use this tool to take steps whether they have legislation in country or not they can still be people focused they can still have human-centric businesses and this tool can help them to get there and another thing that has raised some eyebrows is that the tool is protected by a license so you know that is in place so the actual format of the tool and the content is protected however that license does allow for commercial use because irrespective of what consultant a business is using they can still work with them with this model and again that's intentional 
I don't want barriers. And, you know, this was my baby. And so I wanted to make sure that it can work for everyone. And again, going back to those different commercial markets, being realistic, if you're using a local consultant, I want them to be able to take this tool, take my disability inclusion maturity model and take it into organisations and help them make a real difference. So that's it. And it's also why you don't have to register your details because I know lots of professionals who, as soon as they go to click a button that says, give us your email address and we'll send you the details, it can put people off because they think, oh, are they going to chase me up? Are they going to want to know if I've done it? Are they going to keep trying to sell me more business? And so they will hesitate at best and at worst decide it isn't worth providing their information, which means they don't get the tool. So with our model, you literally go to www.bepeoplesmart.co.uk, go to the tools and resources section, and there you'll see the disability inclusion maturity model. The primary page for the model gives you all of the helpful guidance. And at the bottom of that page is a button to open the model itself. It's created in a fairly simple format in an Excel workbook. And that was also to help um, ensure that people could access it. It has been created, of course, with accessibility in mind. And so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet, please take a look. And I would love to know your thoughts, particularly when you put it into use. I really want to see not only where it's making positive change, that's wonderful, but if you're coming across anything, you feel there's a gap or something you would recommend a change on the model, um, please let me know. And I can say me because that particular piece of work was literally a year of my life. So yes, it is still my baby and I am very proud of it. But of course, it can only make a difference if people are going to make use of it. I will move on to another question I received, which is there is so much uh, different assistive technology out there, but also technology to help you make your solutions and your communications accessible. And what do I use? And I actually got this question from more than one person when I put a post out with Ask Jody. So there are a few things I use. So, for instance, for captioning my videos, I've tried a few different things. And for me, I like Clidio because I find it intuitive. I find it simple to make the adjustments, certainly to adjust so that the um, timing's correct. And so it just works and it's not expensive, which I really like. The only thing I find on Clidio that it doesn't do that some of the other solutions I tried did is you literally have one position for captioning at the top of the screen and one position for captioning at the bottom of the screen. You can't adjust them marginally. So they have just situated where they are. It's fine for me and it's worked so far and I've used it a lot. But um, for some people, they might find that a little restrictive. But I definitely suggest if you haven't found a tool you like and you're looking for a desktop tool, have a look for Clidio. Um, yeah, it literally does what it says in the tin. It's really easy to use. Some of the other tools that I use are some of the built-in tools that are available to me in Microsoft, for instance. So I do use the accessibility checker. 
And as much as I will also advocate for it, I always like to let people know that it's really important they recognise some of the limitations. So, for instance, if you use an inbuilt text box, the system will know what colour your text box is and what colour your text is. And it will tell you if the contrast is sufficient. However, if you put in a graphic, so maybe it's an image with text in it, all it knows is it's an image. It will not know what your colour contrast is. So you would have to do some manual uh, testing for yourself. Also, alt text for imagery, so the descriptive text that's really important. The system won't know if it simply says man or if it's just a full stop. It will just know if the field is empty or not. So again, always good to double check. And some imagery actually has automated alt text and they can actually be quite interesting and can really lose the context of your communication. So always double check that as well. But it is a good tool. So definitely, if you're using Microsoft Office, give it a go. Another thing I use, and I love this tool, is the TPGI Color Contrast Analyzer. It is so quick and easy to use. You can select a background color and then select a foreground color, be that for text or for images. And immediately, it will show you if it's a pass or fail. And it's free. You can just download this. If you're within an uh, organization, you might need IT to release it to you. But it's absolutely brilliant and so intuitive. So I definitely recommend it. Another application I like is the PDF Accessibility Checker. Again, it's free. And it just gives a really good overview of PDF documents to see where the accessibility get, um, gaps are. So. It's not necessarily as easy to remediate them, and there's lots of help out there to do that, but it definitely helps you to recognise when PDF documents need some TLC, that's tender loving care. And the other thing I'll share when it comes to choosing solutions is it's really important to me when I am selecting solutions for use by Smart that they are accessible. And it's really difficult sometimes because you need a particular type of solution and you go to the marketplace and they just don't exist. You know, there's lots of solutions, but when you ask about their accessibility statements, about their plans for accessibility improvements going forward, it can be a big blank page. And so when I was selecting, as an example, uh, accountancy software, I went out to a few different organizations to ask them exactly that. I wanted an accessibility statement. I wanted to understand the progress they're making. I wanted to understand how much of a priority accessibility is in their development life cycles. And <laughs> I had some very different responses. So, and I'm going to name them, one of which was from Zero. So that's Zero with an X that I'd seen a lot of TV adverts on. And I actually thought that although they probably wouldn't be fully accessible because the reality is a lot of solutions aren't, that they're quite a big solution. You know, they've been spending a lot on their marketing that I might get quite a good response. And quite the contrary, they basically told me that nobody else has actually called for this. And so as it's not something that their clients are shouting for, they have no intention to make accessibility adjustments or improvements. So they were immediately wiped off the list. 
And some of the others were pretty much on par with each other. But I'll give you an example. And this is the one I went with. So FreshBooks, they actually excelled in contrast, but no, they're not perfect. And yes, they need to make some further improvements for accessibility. But the reason I selected them is they told me they wanted to listen and they asked me if I would give them some time to speak to their development team so they can do better and so that they can put some of the right plans in place for as they're working through their improvements. And I've already had more than one conversation with their development team. And I do feel that I have got the right intentions. Would I like them to move a bit quicker with accessibility? Truth be told, yes, I would. But sometimes it's really hard to get the solutions you need and also feel like your integrity is intact. And FreshBooks does give me that feeling. FreshBooks makes me feel that I am giving my money to a solution, to an organisation that has got the right intent and I am going to see continued improvements in the accessibility space. And sometimes for off-the-shelf solutions, that's the best you can ask for. Another question I received was about the transcripts on these podcasts. So people were surprised that I have a separate document as a transcript on the podcast, because although you can actually um, access transcripts on a lot of the um, podcast platforms, the question came in, why do I have separate documents? And there are reasons for this. So first of all, it's actually good for a lot of people as a kind of reference note, if you like. But particularly for people who are deaf or hard of hearing, actually, do they need to play a feed that's purely audio and watch just captions in time? Or can they read or however they prefer to consume the content, but can they just read a transcript document and take it in in their own means and it seems to be working but I've also had quite a few neurodivergent people tell me that they find the documented captions really helpful particularly a lot of people with dyslexia if it impacts their working memory some elements are hard to recall and they might want to use the detail that they heard and so they can actually go back onto the document and they can reference those points by you know, using search words, etc., And they find that really helpful. The one thing I would say though, if you are gonna create transcripts and you absolutely should have transcripts for um, audio information, it's important that the actual documents are also created accessibly. So things like headings, um, the color contrast of your font, all of the things that go with accessible communication, it's important that they're taken into account and yeah, they make a massive difference. And I will give a big plug to my partner, Just Access, who um, create the captions for me because they make my life so much easier when it comes to the podcast um, because it can be, and I won't pretend, it can be a time-consuming task because if you're talking like a 45-minute audio piece, it's a lot of words. And one thing that's really important for accessibility on a transcript isn't just the words that were said, but it was who said them. And also the timing. Because, for instance, if you take note that you want to refer to what was said at 20 minutes and 13 seconds, you can. 
because you can go to that point in the document and you can take it in in a way that works for you. So that's another reason that the transcripts are there and they seem to be working quite well. But again, if anybody's got any feedback on them, please let me know. Not only so that I can learn and I can make sure that we make improvements if they're needed, but also I can help just access to making changes if that's what's needed. So that's the podcast. Funnily enough, it's a link question that I was also asked about the podcast. And that was what made me decide to do myth busting for the whole of season two. And that's actually a really easy one. So what happened for season one, I did a really short stint of just three episodes. I just wanted to see how the episodes went down, but I wanted to use that feedback to understand what people actually want to listen to. And there was a lot of feedback, actually, a lot of really positive feedback on the episodes themselves, which was lovely to hear. But when I asked people, what do you want to hear? Um, there was a lot of feedback that so there's so much misconception and stigma associated with disability inclusion and they wanted me to really focus on that and bust the myths so that's exactly what season two has been doing and i really hope that it's helped people have some change of mindset where it's needed but also to broaden some minds particularly around the value of disability inclusion and accessibility you know, not even just attracting and retaining talent in a business and not even just about, you know, increasing the customer base. But the reality is it's just about, you know, human beings. I always talk a lot, um, particularly on social media, about businesses need to be more human centric. And that is very genuine. And hopefully busting these myths is helping other people recognise the value of that so if that's working even in a few places then I feel like I've succeeded someone asked me how I choose my guest speakers and that really varies some reach out to me to ask if they can come on the podcast and they tell me this you know their stories they'd like to share and the myths they'd like to bust uh, one thing I always ask the guest speakers to actually select the myths that we uh, do bust because of course it tends to be their stories and their experience that we're sharing. But to be honest, I haven't come across anybody who, particularly those who work in the disability inclusion or accessibility space, or those with lived experience, who haven't got some really powerful stories to share. And I know I'm biased, but I genuinely believe I've had the most amazing guest speakers, so different, like so, so diverse. But it's been amazing and it's really strange actually talking to you like this because I don't get the amazing people to interact with me. But yeah, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love that part of my job where I can sit and have a chat with amazing human beings, hear about their experiences and then share it with you all to make some positive difference. So that's pretty much it really. And so if anybody is keen, to take part in a future podcast episode, uh, please reach out to me. I've had people who um, it was their very first podcast experience. I've had people who are very seasoned. It, it doesn't even matter. It's about your authentic self sharing what you want to share and helping us to shift the needle when it comes to disability inclusion. So yeah, just let me know. 
And the final question that I had submitted was actually from small businesses. It came a few different ways, but effectively it was the same question. And it was, when you are a small business, particularly when you're not even VAT registered, so, you know, that increases your cost, how can you start making changes so that you are reaching more people, so that you're being more inclusive for your customers, and so that your communications are improved? And there are several ways you can do this. There are some brilliant people to follow on LinkedIn, and I will give Jamie Shields a plug. Uh, because he's pretty cool and because he shares some very creative and wonderful uh, communications and hints and tips. And another person is Chris Holloway. He's always shared wonderful tips. And quite recently, he started sharing some wonderful accessibility memes based on films. So definitely take a look for those and you'll see the hashtag that you can follow at the same time. And of course me, if you're not already following me on LinkedIn, get in touch, connect with me. I'm always sharing information and tips and stories that are aimed at helping everyone to be more disability inclusive and accessible. But also come to me to see how we could actually work together. You may be surprised how we can enable people with all budgets. If you want to look for some reference type guides, if you go onto the Be People Smart website under our tools and resources, there are additional tools and resources there that are top tips and quick wins. They are one page documents with five top tips and quick wins that can really help you to make change. One of those is uh, inclusive communication and they're only £4.99. So they are very affordable and they can really help you digest those changes in your own time. So I definitely recommend our own little documents. And again, you know, we keep the prices down as much as we can because we want them to be accessible to everybody. So that's it for this solo episode of Ask Jodie. I hope it wasn't too much Jodie for you, but I also hope that answering the questions I get asked so often and those that you particularly ask me to answer is going to be helpful to you and going to enable you to make some positive changes going forward. Thank you very much, everyone, and take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.